0: could turn in your Bibles uh, to our reading for this morning. It's Acts chapter 28, and we're going to read verse 14 to 16. If you haven't a Bible with you, there's one in the chair in front of you, and it's on page 937, Acts 28. While you're turning to that, I want to welcome on your behalf our speaker today, Dr. Derek Stringer. I don't know how many of you read the insert in there. Um, talks a bit about Derek's 50 years in uh, Christian service. Um, He's now in retirement. We we, uh, were listening to some of his old sermons last year, Monica and I, quite independently, and then three days later I had an email from Derek to say he's coming to Canada for the first time. (laughs) And I thought this is too good an opportunity to pass up, so I twisted uh, Pastor Paul's arm a little bit and um, he's agreed that Derek should, read, uh, should preach throughout the day. And uh, he's actually going to have three sermons, all different at the three services. That's what's called pastor retirement. fact, <laughs> we do indeed welcome Derek and his wife Pauline at the back. So Acts chapter 28, verse 14. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Let's pray for Derek as he comes to preach. Father, we thank you for the reality of Christian fellowship. We thank you for your word and also for your spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit will indeed equip and empower your servant, Derek Stringer, as he gives us your word this morning. And give us also receptive hearts to hear what you want to say to us, Lord. And especially to put into practice your word. So we seek your blessing on this time. In the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Good morning. Thank you very much for the warm
1: welcome I've already received. It's a delight to be with you. I know that visiting speakers, wherever they are in the world, tend to begin like that. But I do mean it, and I suppose that's the most important thing. Uh, Earlier this year, I was in South America teaching at a seminary and involved at various Bible conventions and conferences over a period of time. And when I was there, I went into some Quite remote communities where there are what I would call some pop up churches. They just put a tent up and 500 people would come in the morning and a completely different 500 people would come to a service in the evening. It was that kind of situation, apart from other situations where they would have multiple thousands of people coming and seeing for myself just how the church is making a difference, transforming people, not just in what they do on a Sunday, but in the community right through the week as well. And in this last visit I was reminded how that so much of this began by an Englishman who had a call of God upon him and believed that God was saying go to South America and present the gospel to these people that it may be information leading to transformation within their lives for eternal sake. Alan Gardner was the name of that person. If you check out that Englishman, you will find the story is traumatic. A former naval officer, along with six other missionaries, they made their way to South America. They were rejected as they tried to share the gospel. They did not get one opportunity to be able to do it. Eventually when they were on the beach they starved to death because the ship that was coming with their supplies didn't reach them in time and then after that eight men replaced them and those eight men were speared to death before they had any chance to share the gospel with the local community. A 17-year-old boy pleaded with the mission director, please let me come off the ship and communicate the gospel to these people. He was allowed. He was given permission. And perhaps because he was very thin and small for his age, and probably because he was very vulnerable and thus not a threat to anybody, They listened to what he had to say about the gospel and a society was transformed by the power of Christ. So much so that Charles Darwin, involved in evolutionary thoughts, was so impressed by what he saw going on, he actually subscribed out of his own pocket to the mission organization which still exists to this day in England, it's known as the South American Missionary Society. Now the point is, those missionaries had no idea whatsoever what would be the outcome of all that they would seek to communicate in their calling to that area. And this is a mega story. But if you think about it, it can often find an echo in our own stories as well. The smaller private pains that we feel and all we're seeking to do is to live a sincere Christian life, finding ways in which we can be involved as a witness and a testimony for him in the ordinary everyday affairs and yet we find obstacles, we have hurts We have situations where we're left asking, why did that happen? Why, when I'm only seeking to do that which is for the better, hasn't it worked out so smoothly and easily? Now Acts 28, the end of verse 14 speaks into that situation. Here you have the early historian of the church, Dr. Luke the Physician along with a partner and supporter, Aristarchus, giving back up to the Apostle Paul, who now under arrest is going to Rome. And we read this sentence, And so we came to Rome. The run-up to arriving there was that he wrote a letter to the believers in Rome from Corinth, where he was being given hospitality by a man called Gaius. And he began by saying, I want to share with you the gospel because I believe that when I come to you, we can be of mutual benefit and blessing one to another. And I want to use you as a springboard to get on to places in the empire where the gospel has not gone. I'd like to be able to go on to Spain. And then, later on, he says something which has become almost a cliché, a popular saying among believers, so that sometimes we only give the text quote, and we don't need to take it further. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. But have we thought about what happened after Paul wrote 8.28? It took four years for him to get to Rome. He traveled through a riot. He was under arrest. There were two assassination plots against him. There were 40 men determined under oath to kill him. There were 470 soldiers set to protect him against them. It was that bad. He was in prison, languishing there for two years. He experienced a shipwreck. By the way, what you read at the end of Acts is the best attested historical reference to a shipwreck from that New Testament world. And they ignored him when he said, it's going to happen, you know, if we set out for sail now. And yet he knew well what he was saying. He'd already experienced three shipwrecks in seeking to establish the church in regions beyond. He was nearly killed when the soldiers said, we can't allow prisoners to escape. They must die or we will die. And he saved 275 from that ship, telling them they would get ashore by swimming or hanging on to planks. And Malta was the place where they landed. I hear people say, I will know it's God's will to do something if it all falls together. I ask, where do you find that in the Bible? And certainly, where do you find that in Paul's experience? Now, Malta was a popular retirement place for Roman soldiers such as centurions. So he was practically assured of a warm welcome there was the centurion who was in charge of arrangements and they gather wood in order to be able to warm themselves and dry their clothes and that's when a snake fastens on to his wrist it doesn't actually say in the text that it bit him but that's what they assume has taken place and when his body doesn't swell up and he dies They then start to treat him quite differently, like a god. You know, someday, God might let us check our life's archive. What do you think? And show us those things that could have happened, but didn't happen, because he stepped in and he prevented it from happening. So he prevented that shipwreck from ruining his life and finishing it early. And he prevented that snake from doing the same thing. And we often have experiences like that. But we tend to major on the times when we don't have experiences like that. And after this and all the setbacks and backward steps, we then read, and so we came to Rome. If we had a series of troubles like this, I think some of us, will be looking for therapy why did this happen when the man is only wanting to advance the church and to serve the gospel why is it happening like this now there are several answers that one could give to this but I'm going to stick with the answers and the reasons that come from the context of this account at the end of the Acts Because, you see, I can make a prediction. Are you ready for this? At some stage in our life in the future, we will face some trouble. Now, I know you're all looking at me now and you're saying, this Derek Stringer, he is not just a preacher. He is a prophet. He is an oracle. We must hang on to his every word and you're not, are you? Because it's pretty obvious that that is going to happen. But that's the point. You see, the essence of any circumstance is never in the circumstance, but always in our reaction to that circumstance. And if we can glean from this information and lessons, which can help us through his trouble, through his hindrances, through his hurts, into ours, don't you think that can help us into the future? into surviving and thriving Christianity whatever is thrown at us so let's check it out and here's the first thing I think we should notice this is a lesson about our enemy Satan did not want Paul in Rome that was the hub and the heart of the empire that was the pagan center Jesus had said you start in Jerusalem the hub and heart of religion but you take that gospel and you grow the church to the hub and heart of the Roman Empire do you know how long the acts of the apostles is Between 30 to 35 years, I think probably about 33 years, the lifespan of the Lord Jesus. Because of the Acts of the Apostles was volume two, a a two-volume work. In volume one, he was telling us in Luke's gospel what Jesus began to do. Now he's telling us what Jesus is continuing to do. Same head, different body here on church, which is the church. Functioning and moving out. Do you know how many people were in the empire in the first century world? 120 million. That's one for a million, because there were 120 disciples to begin with. One for a million without all the modern innovations and technology. And they reached them. But to have someone like the Apostle Paul, actually in a place like that, with his abilities in the Lord, if the evil one could stop that, then he certainly would. And Paul will write from Rome to a church in Ephesus and say, you need to know this about the Christian life. It's a battle. And it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. The evil one cannot stop us getting to heaven, but he can seek to neutralize our effectiveness in the here and now. To the Thessalonians Paul wrote again and again Satan stopped me from coming back to you to be a help to you at other times Paul said the Holy Spirit stopped him so how did he know the difference I have no idea I'll ask him when I meet him but somehow he did do you remember that occasion when he wrote to a church about the thorn in a flesh and how he prayed for it three times? And I'm sure he prayed pretty hard and heavy, persevering prayers. And what happened? It's one difference between having no answers to prayer and having the answer no. And he was given an answer my grace is sufficient. For you and the big word there is is I believe in the wizard of is because my grace really is enough for you but this is the point he came to understand that this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan And yet it was something that God was permitting in this fallen world because it had so many insights, so much revelation from the Lord. It would keep him humble and thus ongoingly usable under the mighty hand of God. So what he saw as a messenger from Satan was simultaneously an opportunity for greater usefulness and blessing through Paul into the future and Satan delayed Paul getting to Rome fighting every step of the way now the storm and snake are literal but I believe that Luke picks them out because they have a spiritual application as well Jesus was threatened by a storm And he recognized there was a power behind that storm seeking to stop his ministry. And he rebuked that storm as if it was personal. And the first and last books of our Bible talk about a snake. That serpent that would seek consequences leading to the fall of the world. And you read the last book of the Bible and it reads there about the accuser that is Satan. And how he needs to be dealt with. God could have stopped the shipwreck. He could have stopped the snake and so much more. But he deliberately allowed it. But it was something that was coming from the evil one as well. And we need to know that. And that can help us in our surviving and thriving plan. There are lessons there about our enemy but furthermore there are lessons about expectations you see Paul coped because he didn't expect an easy ride some people expect too little from their Christian experience and some people expect too much they are not satisfied with the hope of a trouble-free future they want a trouble-free now they confuse Christian experience with expectation. We should expect that ultimately all tears will be wiped away but not in the here and now. And proof positive of this is Paul. I think he was the greatest Christian there has ever been. I think personally there is more godliness and spirituality in the apostle Paul than a single eyelash of Derek Stringer. And yet he writes to a church about the hardships we have experienced beyond our ability to endure, and we despaired of life. Paul didn't feel strong all the time. And during the storm, God told him, Do not be afraid. And don't you think that you don't say that to somebody unless they are afraid? By temperament, understandably, he felt rather tense and stressful in that situation it's important not to forget that this is a fallen world and there are consequences that impinge upon each of our lives suffering is inevitable but misery is optional in fact suffering assures us that God loves us is that strange God loves us too much to deliver us from all our struggles. To the church in Rome, Paul had written, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Our circumstances may not change for the better, but they can change us for the better. If we doubt that, just look at the cross and just see how much we are loved and all that has been done for our eternal benefit and a secret of survival for whatever life throws at us is to recognize we do have an enemy. Principalities and powers in heavenly places against which we need to stand. And to expect that there will be times when we'll need to roll with the blow. But can I tell you another thing? This is a lesson about our contacts. Governors, kings, sailors, soldiers, fellow believers are going to hear the gospel because of all the traumas that the Apostle Paul is going through. John Wesley was a failed missionary in America. And coming back disillusioned by his attempts to present the Christian cause, on board ship he was caught up in a storm. And he noticed the Moravian Christians and how calm and peaceful and prayerful they were when he was terrified. And that caused him to understand they have an understanding of Christianity the like of which I do not know. And eventually it led to his own authentic conversion. And God can use our demeanor to impact other people for good. Think about the other men on the ship with Paul. Two weeks not eating because they're completely off their food in the storm that they're going through. And that's some diet, don't you think? And what does he do? He models something different because he knows they'll need their strength that only food can give, so he gives them an example. He starts eating. I wonder how many people have been saved from death because they have a Christian on board ship or on that plane or in that car. Now, don't get me wrong on this. I don't think that we need to always take a Christian with us like a lucky medallion so we're going to be safe because we've got them with us but it's some thought isn't it they were safe because God intended Paul to get to Rome and they land at Malta and in Malta a chief official welcomes them he has a sick father and Paul as an apostle ministers healing to him and then others are brought from the community and they are cured I find this fascinating because there are two distinct Greek words used there which doesn't always come out in our English translations it says they were healed and cured in other words you have the ministry of a doctor a physician called Luke and you have the ministry of the Apostle Paul and they're running concurrently no conflict between them to accept the supernatural of God and the natural that can come through the skills of a physician no wonder they furnished the ship when the intention was to set sail for Rome. And coming into Rome, fellow believers heard that they were on their way and met him. Some walked 33 miles to meet him at the Forum of Appius. Some walked 43 miles to meet him at the three taverns to encourage him. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged Special word there for encouraged. There's a general encouragement. There's another kind of encouragement when you put strength into a fellow believer. Do you realize as church meetings end and as you meet with one another for coffee, you can encourage one another? You can do what these Christians did for Paul and put strength into one another through your conversations? A flow of people visited him when eventually he got to Rome, including the praetorium guard who would be chained to him. So he had a captive audience. He wasn't so much the captive as they were. They would need to listen to his conversation. They would need to hear him as he prayed. I can't believe with someone like this, they wouldn't be saying, what makes you tick? And he will be leading them to the Saviour and then there's his prison letters the tone of those letters is quite different from the letters that he wrote before he was in prison there are no limits to our witness even if we're restricted in meeting with fellow believers and paul makes that point in one of his prison letters in ephesians 3:10 paul says we make known god's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms isn't that astonishing Johnny Erickson Tader is probably the most famous disabled woman as a Christian in the world, in a wheelchair since aged 18, and a diving accident. She tells in one of her early books how that she shared a room in hospital with a, a young woman called Denise Walters. She had been happy, a popular 17-year-old. And then her legs began to give way, followed by her neck. And then she went blind. It was the symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Every night her mother would come, talk with her, read the Bible to her, pray, and give her a goodnight kiss, and go home. But she was gradually being forgotten by everyone else. One morning, Johnny woke up and discovered the bed next to hers was empty. Denise had died during the night. She said to her friends when they called, You know, what was that all about? I don't understand. It makes me feel very angry. What a life! What a waste! And they read to her Ephesians 3.10. And they also included Luke 15, 7, about the angels rejoicing, the witnesses that there are beyond human flesh. And it helped her. Do we get this? Johnny sent a note to Denise's mother. I am sure that the angels and demons stood amazed as they watched the uncomplaining patience of your daughter. Do you see why Paul wrote at the beginning of Ephesians 3 that he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus? He will not say, I am a prisoner of the emperor. Where did Paul's attitude come from? Jesus says, where our treasure is, there will be our heart. We all have a treasure, something we want most in life. What was Paul's treasure? It's Christ. And belonging to Christ, he said, I can approach God any time I like. No one can take this treasure away from us. It doesn't mean that we won't weep. It doesn't mean that our heart will not break at things that happen. But ultimately, we're free people. And the suffering Paul went through was not wasted, even if there hadn't been contacts at a human level. It was a witness to those that were beyond the human level too. Let's mark that one down because it can help us as we think about surviving and thriving. And one more thing here. This is a lesson about our ownership in Acts 27.3, Paul says, An angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid. Knowing to whom he belonged helped ease his anxiety. Worry is frustrated aspirations to almightiness. Are we worrying? Do we know why? I know what has to happen and it'll be a disaster if it doesn't happen the way I know it should happen I know I'm an afraid that God won't do it the way I know he should do it in my life and he will blow it that's worry it's forgetting who God is and assuming we must take that place of God our anxieties won't go away because we pray in fact you can pray and we can seek counsel and advice for what we're worried about and it can exacerbate the problem because with our prayer we're focusing even more upon what we're worried about and sometimes ending up worrying about what we're going to worry about when the time comes to worry about it and then by talking to someone else with the best will in the world they might end up showing us angles and facets of the problem we hadn't seen before and we end up with a bigger thing to worry about than we realized that we had anyway Do you know the place to start? If we want to handle those worries, we start by affirming before God that we are his property. I mean, we sell a car. Six months later, what would you think if there's somebody who comes to your door and says, you know, I'm really worried about this car. I think it needs new tires. It's really worrying me. I think you would probably say, but it's not my worry because it's not my vehicle. It's yours. Do you see what I'm saying? When we let it go round and round our mind, we have God's ownership over us. When that impinges upon us and gets wrapped up in our flesh and blood experience, it's going to make a world of difference. Remember how Jesus said, sparrow that falls to the ground? And how much more does he own you as a heavenly father and care about you? Or the hairs on your head? He's got them numbered, whether they're parted, unparted, or departed. <laughs> He's got them numbered. And he cares more about us. Paul, you're going to Rome. So his life must be preserved. And if we can say, I won't tell God what he can and cannot do in my life, and how he should or should not do things, we may still battle by temperament, with worry, but it won't kill us. Like Paul, we've all had sleepless nights. A storm may come in a debt or a lump that we discover, or children or grandchildren we would like to be acting differently, or a relationship that isn't working out. But if we take the time and listen and remember we belong to him, then we'll hear him say, I'll be up the rest of the night because I don't need the sleep. Why don't you get some? What is the worst that can happen to us? That we lose our life. But we can't lose eternal life. He knows and cares. Let that go round our mind an angel stood beside Paul and that was not the first time and in fact there in Rome he would write and say when I was called before the court no one took my part but the Lord was with me Paul was an apostle but we can anticipate the same thing because he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us How do you get into a room in which you're already in? Difficult, that, isn't it? You can't. All you can do is to acknowledge that you're actually there and enjoy and appropriate the things that are there. How do you get into the presence of God? You don't have to. You're there. Thing is, let's appreciate and affirm that reality. We're not finished because God is not finished with us. Can I just leave you with an imaginary picture? You drive home, and as you're getting out of your vehicle, somebody moves up and puts a hood over your head. But not before you've seen the glisten in the sun of a kitchen knife and you're being bundled back into your vehicle, the passenger seat, and now it's being driven away and you can hear the noises of people around you in that vehicle. That's scary, right? Let me run the scene backwards and let's add a few details, shall we? It's your birthday. You know from the whispers of your children, something is afoot and they're struggling to keep it from you but they've achieved it and as you get out of your car just before the hood goes on you glimpse it's your spouse and you know you're going somewhere the knife will be to do with the birthday cake you will be anticipating doesn't that change everything and knowing that we walk through this world with God and that ultimately we're going to a party doesn't that change everything? We will survive and can thrive. Alan Gardner was the last of those missionaries to die on the beach and we know his last lines because when the ship eventually came they discovered his journal by God's grace this blessed group sing praise to Christ for eternity God's plan was to prepare the way for the gospel through their ministry Paul stayed two years maximum period of time you could be in custody without trial a runaway slave will come to the Lord during that time he wrote letters he preached without hindrance like the sun that melts the butter but hardens the clay the gospel made a difference to some softening them and hardening others it always was going to be that way the Old Testament said so likely he is released after two years he gets to Spain Finally he will be beheaded. Can you imagine the scene from Paul's perspective kneeling and waiting for the sword to come? And when he hears the swish of it, did I say to live is Christ? To die is gain? I understated it. Home at last. To hear the well done. My good and faithful servant. Everything went wrong, but everything ended right. Let's tell ourselves, I can't always see your hand, Lord, but I will trust your heart. God bless you.